Today is a turning point for many of you. Today is a day of uh, decision. It's a day of moving forward in the things of God. It's a day of new anointings of his presence. It's a day of decision. It's a day of drawing a line in the sand saying, I'm not going back. I'm only going forward. I will have more of God. Amen. Amen. One additional announcement uh, that I have to make, uh, we have a bitter, I have a bittersweet announcement to make. Uh, we announced this last week. I just want to make mention of it again for those of you who may have not have been here. Um, after much prayer and careful consideration, Jamie and Danny um, have made the decision to take the, a position at another church. They'll be going to House of Praise. Pastor Lon and Joanne there are friends of ours, and so they will be getting the best worship director. Uh, we are sad to see our son go. We're sad to see them leave. Um, Jamie has done so much here at, for Redeeming Love, worship team member for over 10 years, worship director for five and a half years. Um, he'll be embarking on this new assignment. Jamie and Danny will be sending them out next Sunday. Next Sunday will be their last Sunday, so uh, be sure to be here for that. We'll be praying over them and releasing them. Amen? Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Well, today we get to kick off our new sermon series, Presence of God. And this is, uh, this is a topic that is just near and dear to my heart. Um, if, you know, if you know me, if you've known me for any length of time, you know that I love joy. And I live in this place of joy. My favorite scripture is James 1, 2, consider it pure joy when you fall into various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, so that perseverance may have its full work, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking no good thing. Joy, joy, joy. The, the, my very next favorite scripture is Psalm 27, verse 4. We're going to read that here in a moment, but it's, it's all about the presence of God. There's nothing more that I want in my life than to be in the presence of God. I have no desire to do anything except to be in the presence of God. It is my, it is my one and first assignment. As Christians, it is all of our first and only assignment. We, we must be people who put a priority on the presence of God. It's got to be important in our lives. If we don't have the presence of God in our lives, then we live our life with one hand tied behind our back, unable to do the things that God has equipped us to do. He has given us power and love and a sound mind. He has given us strength and abilities. And if we're not availing ourselves of what he has given us, we're going through life with one hand and one foot. And we're just not as effective. And life isn't fun. All right. Presence of God. What is the presence of God? This is so abstract in our minds, right? It's so subjective to many. The presence of God is not just, you know, goosebumps. Sometimes you get goosebumps. Sometimes you feel that. Sometimes there's a wind. Sometimes there's a fire. Sometimes there's a river. Sometimes there's a fill in the blank. All these Awesome things happen when you're in the presence of God. What is the presence of God? The presence of God is when there's an awareness that God is near. When God is in the room. God is always in the room. Psalm 139 verse 5. 
right? God's always in the room. David says, even if I make my bed in hell, you are there. Even if I were to clothe myself in darkness, even there, the darkness shall be light to you, O God. God is everywhere as we go. But there are moments of time where we become more aware of the presence of God. We become more aware that God is in the room. We sang that refrain today. God's not just looking to fill a building. God's looking to fill your heart. The presence of God isn't just coming to fill the building, although he may and he will. There will be moments of time where the presence of God in the room is tangible, where you can touch it where you can taste it, where you can hear it, where you can smell it, where you can see it. But really, the presence of God wants to come and he wants to fill our heart. This is the place right here. This is where God wants to reside. This is where he, his priority lies. It's your heart. This is where the priority is. This is all he's ever wanted, is to have our heart, to have our full commitment, to have our full, yes, Lord. Where do we find the presence of God? Where do we find the presence of God? We find the presence of God wherever here is. We find it at church. We can find it at home. We can find it in our secret place. We can find it at work. We can find it uh, in your car. You can find it while you walk. You can find it while you talk. You can find it while you sleep. Glory to God. <laughs> Presence of God while you sleep. Amen. You can find it while you shop. Literally wherever you are all the time. There is never a moment of time where you cannot be in the presence of God. Is there, ever, is there ever a time where you don't want the presence of God? Hmm. Is there ever a moment of time where you don't want the presence of God? You know there is. There shouldn't be, but you know there is. The Bible tells us that there are pleasures, Psalm 16, verse 3, the Bible tells us that there are pleasures forevermore at God's right hand. When we are in the presence of God, when God's right hand, the presence of God, when we are in the presence of God, there are pleasures forevermore. There are unending pleasures. Church is supposed to be fun. When you come to church, you're supposed to have a good time. If you're not having fun at church, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> it, it should be the most fun place to be. The presence of God. There, there are pleasures forevermore at God's right hand. When we fully enter into and when we fully embrace the presence of God, we will have pleasure. We will have joy. We will have the fullness of all that God has for us. There is no place on the earth that you would rather be. I've come to um, be in a place where I always want God's presence. There's never a moment of time where I'm like, nah, I don't want God's presence right now. Nah. Do you want ice cream? Yes. Do you want, do you want coffee? Yes. 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 
I can't have another cup because the caffeine, my body can't handle it. You know, um, I read an article that said you can only eat, drink uh, 43 cups of coffee or else you'll die from caffeine poisoning. So really what they're saying is that 42 is the limit. <laughs> I can't even drink four cups of coffee. It just doesn't work for, with my body. I always want another cup of coffee. I just can't always have another cup of coffee. I always want the presence of God. And I can always have it, and it's never not good for me. You can't have too much of it like coffee. Worst case scenario, worst case scenario, you get too much of the presence of God, and it's Enoch, and you're with the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Sign me up. Presence of God. So today's message is entitled, Person of One Thing. There's one, I love joy, full of joy. Joy, 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 love joy. There is one plan and purpose for my life. It's to be in the presence of God. I'm leaving every other thing that I do because there's one thing that I want, and it's to be with God. All right, let's jump into Scripture. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that shall I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. David makes, makes this declaration, Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing if I desired, I've got one desire in my heart. Listen, there's one plan, there's one purpose, there's one thing that I'm chasing after. It's the presence of God. I don't ever want to not be in the presence of God. There is no time where I don't want to be in the presence of God. David had learned this from a very young age. He, he said he would follow after the sheep. He would chase down the sheep. He was a servant first. And when a lion or a bear came, he strengthened himself in the Lord, and he fought the lion, and he fought the bear. God gave him the strength to do it. And so a few years later, he finds himself on the battlefield. Here's Goliath, and he says, hey, same thing. Who are you to defy the living God? I know who God is. Maybe you don't. I'll introduce you to him. Glory to God. David had this insatiable desire for the presence of God. When he's at his lowest point in his life, the city of Ziklag, he's, he's living in enemy territory. He's running for his life for probably close to 15 years. He's running for his life. He's been running for his life for a long time. His enemies have surrounded him. His family is gone. The, the enemies have taken him. His house is burned to the ground, and everything that he owned is gone. And it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. Here he is, lowest point of his life. What does he do? He says, I need the presence of God. I need the presence of God. I need the presence of God. He knew enough. At the lowest point, when things were at their worst, where they couldn't get any worse, he says, I need the presence of God. I need it. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And what did the Lord say? He said, pursue them for you will recover all. Go ahead, go ahead, go pursue them. You're going to recover all. He strengthened himself. The Lord did a mighty work. From there, God gives him the kingdom. 
It's a seven-year process. He shows up in Jerusalem. I know I'm going along long. Bear with me. He shows up in Jerusalem. He fights two, three little battles. And what does he say to everybody? He gathers the army together. There were two or three little battles. Then he gathers the army together, and he says, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go down to Gibeah, and we're going to get a hold of the ark of God. And we're going to bring it up here, and we're going to set it, and we're going to inquire of the Lord, because we haven't done that in a, in a while as a nation, as Israel. And so his first priority as king, once he you know, took care of those first couple of little battles. His first priority was saying, we're going to go get a hold of the presence of God and we're going to bring it here and we're going to do something that the world's never seen before. Because the presence of God is that important. One thing, he says, one thing have I desired. He is not exaggerating. This is not an exaggeration on David's part. This is not like, well, you know, one thing, but really, you know, I got 10, but this is just the most important. No, he, there is one thing that I will do. And everything else can stop while I do this one thing because it's the most important thing. Because what David would do is he would bring the Ark of the Covenant. He set it in the midst. He paid for singers and people to pray around it 24 hours a day. And they had the Ark of the Covenant wide open for everyone to see. And I'm like, you can't do this. You can't. Go back, read the law, read what was supposed to happen with the Ark of the ark of the testimony. He, you can't do that, but he did it. Why? Because he heard from God. He knew what to do. Why? Because the presence of God was first and foremost in his life. And from that place, the kingdoms of the world shook around David. They heard that David was coming and they were like, oh no, God is with that man. Oh no, God is with them. The king of Tyre Phoenicia, the city of Phoenicia, the, the king of the, Tyre is the city, the, Tyre is the capital city of the nation of Phoenicia, knew that David was in touch with God and that his kingdom was expanding. And so the king of Tyre says, hey, we better send a really big gift to, to David so that he won't attack us. And so he sent masons and carpenters and all of these craftsmen to build David a palace. We're going to make peace with our enemy. We're going to make peace with that man because he knows God. We're going to make peace with that man because he knows how to get a hold of God. One thing have I desired, that shall I seek, that I might dwell in the presence of God, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord, literally dwelling in the presence of God. All, say all, all. not just a few, not just on Sundays. Not just on Sundays and Wednesdays. Not just on Sundays or Wednesdays and Thursdays. All of the days of my life. Not just in the morning. All. 24-7. There's one thing that I want. There's, I cannot. I'm to the point, guys. I'm to the point where I cannot live without it. I can't go on without it. I don't know that I could survive. It's become like the air that I breathe to have the presence of God. This is where we should be as Christians. This is where we should camp. We need to come to a place where we are just not willing to be without the presence of God. The Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And so if you avail yourself of him and if you put a demand on the presence of God, you will have it.
Fast forward a couple years, Psalm 51. David sins. David sins greatly. It says at the beginning, uh, it says that David had given, it, this is Psalm 51. So if you read back into 1 Samuel, um, where he, the story is, it says that David, uh, it says that God had given David rest from all of, the, all of the nations all around him. And it says it was the season when kings went out to war. But David stayed home in his palace. And so David didn't go out when the kings went out. He should have gone out, and he didn't. So then he sins. He commits adultery. Then he sins, and he commits murder. And then he covers it all up. He's trying to brush it all under the carpet. He's trying to, like, not let it be, let it be seen. And then he gets found out. Nathan the prophet comes and says, you did this. You did this. And David goes in to that place where he had the Ark of the Covenant. He goes in before the Ark of the Covenant and he says, God, I've sinned. And he writes, he, he writes this psalm. This is his prayer from that moment. And I've just cut out verses 10 and 12 here. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Here's David, king. The nation of Israel had never been at such peace. The nation of Israel, they finally expand their borders to where they're finally supposed to be. They're living the life. They're there. They have arrived. The kingdoms of the earth shook around David. They were in fear of him. He lacked for nothing. He had it all. Commits sin, gets caught, and what does he do? He doesn't say, don't take the nation from me. He doesn't say, don't take the throne from me. He doesn't say, don't take the peace from our nation. He doesn't say a million other things that many of us might say. He puts the demand on the one thing that no, he knows he can't live without. He says, do not, do not cast me away from your presence. Listen, I know that I've sinned. I know that I've done wrong, but there's one thing that I can't live without. I can't live without your presence, God. I can't deal without being in your presence. Please do not take your Holy Spirit from me. In another uh, psalm, David says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. Listen, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to go on, but listen, just give me the lowest position. Just don't kick me out of the house. Give me the lowest position. I don't care what I got to do. Just don't, just don't kick me out of the house. Just don't let me be out of your presence. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Part of our joy, part of our joy comes from knowing that we're saved, comes from knowing our eternal destination. When our reality is anchored in eternity, it'll change the expression of joy in our life. Joy is the expression that we will live. When our reality is anchored in eternity, we will have joy. Joy is only a short time in coming when we're anchored there and when we understand that salvation is our part 
that salvation, that we will be saved, that we will go on. Exodus thirty-three, fifteen. Moses said, if your presence doesn't go up with us, don't bring us up from here. God brings Moses and the Israelites out of Egypt, brings them through the crossing at the Red Sea, parts the Red Sea. They walk through on dry land. Pharaoh and his armies trying to walk through on dry land drown because the water crashes back in on them. They get into the wilderness. They send out spies. The spies are like, it's no good. We can't go. God says, you're going to wander for years. The Israelites become more and more stiff-necked. God loses his patience, and he says, that's it. He says, that's it. He says, you guys are going up, and I'll send a couple angels with you, but I'm not going. I'm not going. I can't stand you all. Go ahead, read the story, Exodus 33. I'm not going. Lest I, here's what he says, lest I consume you on the way. Oh, <laughs> Moses responds and says, if you're not going, I'm not going. If you're not going, I'm not going. That's all fine and dandy. You've got a land flowing with milk and honey. You've got, you've got a land with grapes as big as volleyballs for me. That's fine. I don't want it. You got houses and cars and yachts and planes and everything. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. If God's presence isn't there, I don't want it. I don't care how good it is. I don't want it. If God's presence isn't there, if you do not go with us, don't bring us up from here. I'd rather sit in this desert the rest of my life and eat these crackers and drink water than go up and be in the land of flowing with milk and honey if I don't have your presence. Luke chapter 10. Now it happened as they went, now it happened as he, Jesus, entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted, say distracted, with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to Martha, 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 you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing, one thing, one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. And so for all of us who are um, task-oriented and we like checklists, this scripture really is aggravating to us. We're mad. We want to kick, kick it over, right? We want to just throw a little temper tantrum and be like, what are you talking about? You can't be serious, Jesus. Really? It's interesting. It says that Martha invited Jesus to her house, and then it says that Martha was distracted with much serving. She made the invitation, so she had some responsibility to put forth the meal, 
but she was distracted with much serving. Luke 40, uh, the, the next verse, it says, one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part. She's chosen what's good, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to tell her to get up from here and go in there. There are things that we need to do. There are things that we need to accomplish. We need to put food on the table. We need to, right? And we can become distracted in the serving. But the good part, the better part, is to sit at the feet of Jesus. To sit in his presence. Is this something that we've learned to do? We don't do this well in the natural. We don't do this well without training our spirit to do it, to sit at the feet of Jesus. Because there's way too much that'll distract us. If life alone itself isn't a distraction enough, right? Get married, have four kids, you have a job, you got car insurance, you have to repair the cars, you have to repair the house, repairs, mow the lawn, shovel the snow, put down the ice melt. Am I talking to anybody in here? Is there anybody that lives life like me? And you got a, like a million things to do and the list is long and I have lists for my list. And then on top of all of that, there's the distraction of TV, football, Facebook, Insta social medias, emails, and the list goes on and the distractions and then your neighbor has the nerve. Dear Lord Jesus, to play some loud music or have a loud dog or I don't know, whatever your neighbor does, and they distract you. <laughs> oh boy, here we go. I've come to realize that this is what I do well. And I, don't, and I don't think I've always done it well, um, the Mary part. I do this well. I'm good at it. And, and, I, and if I could, be the only thing that I did. But then I wouldn't be up here. But I know God wants me here. So I'm distracted by having to preach to you guys, and I can't be Mary. True story. True story. So when I was little, when I was in seventh grade, I've told this story a bunch of times. Many of you have heard it over and over and over again, but that's okay. I'm going to tell it again because there's still some mileage on it. When I was in seventh or eighth grade, I, was, I, I attended denominational church, and the priest said, if you want to be a priest afterwards, come up and see me. And I remember for 30 seconds thinking, I'm going to be a priest. This is what God wants with my life. And then 30 seconds later, I realized, wait, I can't get married and have kids. I'm out. That was... 30 seconds of bliss that just evaporated when I realized the price that had to be paid there. Fast forward six years later, my wife invites me to this church, and we came to a Saturday night service, and there was a guest speaker, and I don't remember the speaker's name, and I don't remember where he was from, but Pastor Carter introduced him, and he said, this is Pastor so-and-so from such-and-such -such a place. He has a wife and four kids. Halfway through his message as he's speaking and sharing the word with, as, I'm, as I'm doing with you today, 
felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and said, you can do this. You will do this. And I said, God, sign me up. I'm in. I was in before, and I was out because of certain things, and now you've cleared the path, and those things can be mine while I do this. I'm in, sign me, and I'm all in. Where am I going with this? So I say all that to say that there is a call of God on my life to preach the word of God. I believe it wholeheartedly. That's my Martha. As much as it's fun, as much as I have to spend time in the word in order to preach, it's still a Martha. It's still a task. It's still something that distracts me from spending time with Jesus. So early on in my ministry career, I started with the youth, and I started speaking to the youth, preaching to the youth, and then I got to preach on a few Sundays, and it was great. And then because I really wanted to preach, and I felt like I should preach, and I knew that God wanted me to preach, and then God brought me to a period of time where I didn't preach. The youth group kind of stopped for a couple years. For whatever reason, I wasn't asked to speak on a Sunday anymore for a couple of years. And so it all ended. And as much as it was what I wanted to do and it was what I knew I was called to do, it just wasn't happening. And it was in that period of time where I learned this Martha thing. And what happened was I got to the point where I was like, I don't care if I ever preach again. Once you learn to do Mar Mary and you learn to do it well, you don't ever want to do anything. The only thing I want to do, if I could have my way, what would I do? I would just go and I would sit at the feet of Jesus the way Mary did. And I would just love on him and feel his love on me. Oh, the presence of God. One thing have I desired, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. All I want is to be with Jesus. All I want is to feel his nearness. All I want is to be with him. And so I got to the place where I was like, I started to think like, all right, if this is what I'm going to do, God, then I'm going to find a place in the mountains, right, further away from distraction, and we'll do this. We'll do this. And then as I continued to just sit in the presence of the Lord, I understood like, no, that's not what I want. I don't want you to just draw away and be a recluse, right? Draw away and be a, a hermit. That's not, that's not my will. I actually want you to do that preaching thing, but I want you to do it from this place. I want you to do it from this place of presence. I want you to do it from this place of sitting here with me and hearing my heart so that when you're speaking, you're not speaking your own words and your own thoughts, you're speaking my thoughts. I preach differently than I did years ago. I think there's only a couple in here that were in the youth group the whole while. But I preach differently now. The, the message that I have to, to speak, the things that I have to share, they're different now. And I believe it's more God's heart than ever before. God wants. God wants. Nothing more than this space right here. And he wants to come and fill it. 
And when, here's the beautiful thing, is that when we do this, and when we allow God to come, and when we allow God to fill us, every nook and cranny, right, every little corner, every hidden little place, even the secret places that we hide from ourselves, those places, when we allow God in there, he changes our heart, and then from there, we are compelled to go out and do something for God. We're compelled. The, the love of God will grip you tightly and draw you out and cause you to do things that you wouldn't do on your own without the love of God. And he wants us to do it from a place of love, always from a place of love. I give you a new command. This is my command, the new command I give you. Love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. It's, I think it's 15 times. Love one another. This is the new command. Love one another. Do it in love. He who, he who has a prophecy, let him give it in love. He who does this, let him do it with love. Do it with love. Whatever it is you find to do, do it with love. Do it in love. We're talking about exercising our spiritual gifting. Every single spiritual gift that we have, we do in love. 1 Corinthians, it says, uh, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, but I will show you a more excellent way. It's the way of love. If I prophesy and speak the words of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I give my body to the flames to be burned and give all that I have to the poor and I don't do it with love, it profits me nothing. Nothing. Every single gift that there is and we have, every single thing that God has spoken to you to do, we're to do it in love. And this is where we get the love, by being in his presence, by doing the Mary. As you can kind of probably figure out, I'm a high-energy individual. <laughs> so sitting still is not my strong suit. <laughs> so when we talk about Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, I'm kind of like, God, what does this look like? And so sometimes it looks like me taking a run, and I'm running, and I run, and I run for exercise. And while I'm running, I'm focusing on the presence of God. I sing worship songs to him. I pray to him about the different things that are going on. And while I'm active, I'm praying, and I'm seeking him, and I'm sharing with him all that's on my heart, and I'm tuning my ear to listen to what he might say. God speaks to me often in those moments. God speaks to me more in the moments where I find myself busy doing something, but my heart is towards him as much as just sitting here in the church trying to hear him. It's as much in those busy times as long as my heart is aimed towards him and my affections are towards him and I have an ear to hear in that moment. Actually, I love to hike. I hike the mountains in the Adirondacks. God speaks to me while I do this. I love to be outside, walk through the woods. Don't really love shoveling snow. <laughs> and this snow is impossible. I just left it. Like, I got my sidewalk cleared, and I'm like, it's good. We're done. It'll melt. Spring is coming. It's only 63 days away. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> It'll melt. 
Dear Lord. Plow wouldn't even take it up. Love. Mary. Presence. It doesn't have to look like it's something that's stationary. But when I go out to, to run or when I go out to take a walk or when I go out to uh, ride our bikes in the summertime, I set my affections on him. I turn my mind and my heart toward God. And I pray. I start to pray about anything that I, I can think about, whatever comes to my heart. God, keep me safe while I'm running. Help me to finish. Give me breath in my lungs because I don't have it right now. God, bless my children. Bless my wife. Heal so-and-so. Do this, do that. You guys know how long the list can be. And then you come to a point where you're just shedding your affection on him. God, I love you. God, I'm so happy. God, I'm so grateful for all that you've done in my life. First Corinthians, First Thessal, uh, First Thessalonians chapter 5. Give thanks at all times. Pray unceasingly. Rejoice always. Prayer should be sandwiched in between thanksgiving and rejoicing. Give thanks in all things. Pray unceasingly. Rejoice at all times. So if you have a request of God, thank him for five things. Ask him for one thing and then praise him for the rest. This is the secret to prayer. I think it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. 36. It says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord. Didn't hesitate. So many times people ask Jesus a question, and Jesus asks them a question back, and he's, he's like, doesn't give them a direct answer. It's, I think it's only, I have it written down someplace, it's only four or five times that Jesus actually answers the question directly. This is one of them. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and all of your strength. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and all of the prophets. What's the greatest commandment? Love God. What's the greatest commandment? Love God. What's the first and greatest commandment? Love God. We need to get the first commandment in first place. We need to do one thing right. That's love God. And if we do, everything else falls into alignment. We have to believe that God is a good God because he is. And if we believe anything other than the fact that God is a good God, it's a lie from the enemy. God is a good God. Yeah, but this happened. God is a good God. Yeah, but this happened. You don't know what happened. God is a good God. God is still a good God. God is good. We have to know. We have to know in our heart 
that God is good. Love God. Love him. When we come to this place of love, this place of presence, this place of drawing away with him, when we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. If he is up there in heaven, it, Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son, and the father was waiting on the porch, and when he saw his son afar off, you know, here in the Northeast, you can't see very far when you're outside. You look, and there's a tree five feet away. You can't see anything. This is, right? Who's from the Midwest? You get out into Utah, Texas, Arizona, and when you're in Israel, same way, you can sit. If you're sitting up on a mountain, you can see for miles. When we were in Jerusalem, when I was in Jerusalem, we went up on um, the Mount of Olives, and we looked to the west. I could see the Dead Sea 20 miles away. I'm telling you, you can see. You can see great distances anywhere other than the Northeast. <laughs> and it says, the, the father saw the son who had spent all on wasteful living. It says he saw the son afar off. And when he saw him, the father got up and he started running. He wasn't going to wait for the son to get there. As soon as the son made the decision to come, the father's heart said, yes, I'm going to go meet him. And the son comes and says, Father, I've sinned against you and the family, and just make me a servant. I'm not even worthy. And the father says, go get a ring and a robe. Kill the fattened calf. We're going to celebrate because this son of mine who was dead, he is alive. Hallelujah. This is God, and this is the way he looks at you. He is sitting there waiting for you to decide to engage with him. And the moment that you engage with God, he engages back with you. He's ready and waiting. The equation falls apart on our end because we don't engage him in the process. We don't set aside time. We don't push through distraction to get a hold of him. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You want presence? I want presence. He wants, he wants to be his presence in your life. More than we want it, he wants it. Genesis 3.8. And they heard, Adam and Eve, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. One of the saddest scriptures in all, in all the Bible. My heart hurts every time I read it. Here comes God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and Eve, they hear his footsteps. I imagine, it doesn't tell us, but I imagine that they, God had done this many times before because they knew he was coming, Right? And so here comes the presence of God. But today was different because Adam and Eve had believed the lie of the enemy and they had sinned. And so when they heard God walking and they knew that the presence of God was coming, 
They ran and they hid themselves. We're at the same place today. Here's God. Here's the presence of God. He's ready to walk. He's ready to walk with you. He's ready to walk into your life. Here comes his presence. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? How are you going to respond to the Lord? He's ready to walk. He's ready to come with his presence. He's ready to come with his nearness. How are you going to respond? It talks about in Exodus chapter 20, God comes and the fire of God comes down upon Mount Sinai as they're gathered there. And it says that God set parameters and said, don't do this and don't do that and make sure the people don't do here and go there. And it said, when the presence of God descended upon the mountain and the flames and the smoke and the billowing, it says that Moses drew close. He drew as close as he could get. It says, but the people, the Israelites, they ran away. They ran away from the presence of God because they were afraid. The fear of the Lord, the reverential awe of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And as much as he is all-powerful and all-knowing, he is all-loving. And so as much as we need to approach God with reverential awe, we have nothing to fear. He loves us more than we love ourselves. He loves us more than anybody else could ever love us. The love of God, the love that God has for you is immeasurable. The love that God has for you is as immeasurable as he is. Our God is an infinite God. He has no beginning and he has no end. And his love for you has no beginning and it has no end. He, there was never a day in eternity dateless past where God didn't love you 100%. And there will never be a day in the future, no matter what you've done or what you didn't do, that God won't love you 100% with this infinite, amazing love. And when we open ourselves up to this love and we allow it to come in to our heart, it will transform our lives. We've all read stories of people, children, who didn't receive love from their parents or as a child or they didn't receive love and there were things wrong. They didn't speak. Or... But when they were put into a place where there was love, they began to speak. Healing came. Wholeness came. And so no matter where we are, where we think we are on this scale of being whole, there's still some part of us that's imperfect. And it's the love of God that can come into us and heal every broken part. There's no part that God can't heal and make whole. It's his love 
that comes in, when God's love comes in, it transforms us. It does the work. It transforms us. It's by his grace. And they heard the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. Today, I'm going to invite you to stop hiding. We have reasons to hide. Adam and Eve had a reason to hide. They disobeyed God. The enemy tricked them. They now knew. And so they knew and they hid because they knew. I wonder how different the story would have been if they had repented at this moment. I don't know. Jesus hadn't been crucified. The blood hadn't been poured out for their sin. I don't know what would have happened, but what if? What if they just came and said, God, we're sorry. We believe the enemy. I want to be in your presence. We have Jesus. We have the blood of Jesus. And we have this opportunity today. The invitation is still here. God is still walking. He's still looking. He's still trying to get your attention. He's still longing for this moment of time where you will come and be a Mary and sit at his feet and just long to be in his presence. He's looking for it. Are you ready? He's ready. Are you ready? He's wanting this to go forth. Are, are you going to say yes? Or are you going to hide? Are you going to continue to hide? Please don't hide. If you're here today and you've never known the love of God, I want to invite you to know the love of God today. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I want to invite you to make Jesus Christ Lord and, Lord and Savior of your life today. God loves you with an unsearchable, unending love, an immeasurable love. He loves you. And he wants nothing more than to be in this relationship where you love him and he loves you. And there's this togetherness. It's really what he wants. What does he want? He wants to walk in the garden with you. He wants to come back to, to the Garden of Eden. Hey, come on, let's just, let's just come back. Let's just walk. Can we just come aside and fellowship? Can we just come aside and, and be together? Come on, let's just be. And we hang out there and God says, I like you. good. He's like that. If you've never made the decision to ask Jesus, as, if you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask, invite you to do that right now. Pray this prayer. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. Come and live inside my heart. Help me to live for you all of the days of my life. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be on the inside of me, strengthening me, giving me all that I need. I believe that you are God, that you lived a perfect life, that you died on the cross for my sins, that you were buried and you rose again, and you are seated at the right hand of God. In Jesus' name, amen. 
If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I'm going to ask you to check on your engage card. It says, Today I. Follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior for the first time. If you check that box, there's some information that I want to send to you, so just make sure your name and address is written down there, and I'll send you some information that explains what it means to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and what your next steps are. First step, get into a good church. If you like this church, we'd love to have you here. If you don't live around here, find a church in the area that you live in. It's very important that you find a place to be with God so that you can be, uh, become familiar with his ways, so that you can become familiar and encouraged in his love. We're going to, at this moment in time, we're going to take uh, communion together. So if you just grab your communion and, and get it opened up and get it ready. Bible says in Matthew 26, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them and saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So as we gather here this morning and as we prepare our hearts to take communion this morning, we just want to remember the Lord. We want to remember what he did. We want to remember the life that he lived. We want to remember all that he did for us. Every, every battle is won in Jesus' name. Jesus came and he restored right relationship with the Father. That we could walk in the garden with him again. That we could walk in this place of fellowship with God once again, beginning today. Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, we remember you this morning. Take it together in Jesus' name. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said to them, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus, we thank you for your blood upon the cross. Jesus, we thank you for the forgiveness of sins. God, we thank you that when we had no way with which to repay the debt of sin that we owed, that Jesus made a way. And we avail ourselves of that price today, of that cost today. We reap the benefit that you poured out. We drink this 
and honor you today, God. We say, forgive us of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. This week, I want to encourage you to practice being in the presence of God. I want to encourage you to spend some time doing the Mary thing, sitting at the feet of Jesus. It doesn't mean you have to sit and be stationary. You can do it while you're running on your treadmill. Nobody in their right mind would run outside at this weather, would they? I have. I want to encourage you to find God. Set aside some time. Push past distraction. Get through your prayer list and just spend some time being with God. Listen for him to speak. Listen to what he would say. He doesn't always speak audibly. A lot of times he'll just speak right to your heart. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. I love you. Refuse to be distracted. Listen, I guarantee you 110%, as soon as you make the decision that you're going to spend time in the presence of God, distractions are going to pop up from every nook and cranny, right and left. Like snow on the road. It's just all over the place. Distractions. They come. They, and they come when you make the decision to find his presence. Because the enemy doesn't want it. He doesn't want you in his presence. And so he'll do whatever he can to distract you and not be there. Refuse to be distracted. Distractions will come. Push through it. Push past it. Things are going to come up. I have, this, I have this process in my life. I'm just going to share this quickly, and then we're going to receive the offering and get you guys out of here. I have this process in my life. When things happen, they get a rating system. Right? Does it have to happen now? Is this an immediate thing that I have to respond to? Is there any way, is there any way at all that I can not Take care of this right now so that I can continue my Mary thing, right? It, it goes beyond, I, I do this even when I'm not doing the Mary thing. You know, is there any way that I can, you know, do something so that I can continue to watch the football game that I'm watching, or do I have to address this immediately? This is just a, a, a pattern in my life. I don't, I don't just jump on every single thing that comes up. Things get prioritized. I got to do this. I, I, that can wait. I got to do this. That can wait. That can wait till. Uh, that can wait till spring. That snow can wait till spring. It's gonna warm up. It'll melt. You guys are. You guys are great. Distractions come. When distractions come, prioritize them. Say, hey, how important is this? Do I have to deal with this right now? I'll tell you what the most important thing is. The most important thing is Mary. The most important Mar thing is the Mary thing. The most important thing is sitting in the presence of God. When you make the decision to do that, distractions are going to come. What's more important than that? Nothing's more important than that. There are some things that you may have to deal with in order to get back to, unless you have somebody else that can do it for you. Mary had Martha. Martha was doing the serving, so Mary didn't have to. All right, I've said enough. Come, receive the offering this morning.